0: Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in
1: Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg.
2: I'm Jen Opphoff-Grey, founder and artistic director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 47 of Theater Forward. Wow. All right. So for this episode, we are going to focus on all the good things that happened for the theater community in 2020. And I know that that sounds like such a heavy lift. But as we look ahead to 2021, we just wanted to focus on reasons for optimism and the opportunities that lie ahead for all of us. Uh, But before we do that, we really must acknowledge how painful this year has been for artists and for arts organizations. And if you're listening and you have the capacity to do so, please do what you can to support this field in its real time of need. Reach out to the artists in your life and offer to lend a hand, buy a ticket to an upcoming online production, make a tax-deductible donation, whatever feels right for you just know that it will all make a real impact. Um, So thank you in advance for doing what you can. And now we'll move on to our bright spots of the year. And I want to kick us off because I want to go back to January of 2020, which was actually in this calendar year, even though it feels like a decade ago. (laughs) But it seems like the perfect place to start when we think about the things we're we're grateful for. And that is on our own home front, We produced the play, Every Brilliant Thing, back in January, starring our our dear David Daniel. And it's the story of a man listing all the things in his life and in the world for which he feels grateful. And one of the things that I remember coming up with the idea to do years before the production, as soon as we decided we wanted to, to do that show, was that we had um, inserts in the playbill for every one of our patrons with a blank post-it affixed. And we asked them to write down on that post-it something that they were grateful for. And then to just leave it on a little display that we had out in the lobby on their way out of the theater. And we collected over a thousand of those over the course of our three week run. And Julie, you remember, I would sit in the green room every night and I would like type them all up into this wonderful list. And I'm I was so moved at the time by that list and all of the beautiful things that the, the community of our audience had shared with us. And that was before I knew what the rest of the year held. And now to go back and look at that list and realize that the vast majority of the things on that list can still be appreciated, even with all of the restrictions that COVID's brought to our lives. Um, that was, that was a highlight of the year that I think will be a highlight for me of my decade, of my career, et cetera, et cetera. And it was something that was created. It was inspired by the art that we created as a theater company. But this particular thing was created by our community. And that was gorgeous. So that's mine. <laughs> that's I- a wonderful one.
1: I can, I can let's bookend the year to get started. Then we can move into the middle. I just, yesterday, and there's a similar theme, Jen, that you've, you've made me think of in terms of what you just said. Just yesterday, I watched uh, the Milwaukee Reps' um, Jacob Marley's Christmas Carol with me. Uh, another longtime, uh, wonderful Wisconsin actor come home for the first time in a long time. And first of all, it's, I mean, I've been watching Christmas Carols till my eyes bleed in the last few weeks. It, it's it 's just so great, um, and just so head and shoulders above just about everything um, i 've seen you uh, 're easily the best version of that show. This is the third jacob marley 's christmas carol i 've seen that i've that i 've ever seen, but what really struck home for me in a way that resonated differently than it would have without the pandemic is this is a show about stripping back down to the essentials, letting go of all the busy nothings that have consumed your life. Um, in theater terms, you know, getting back to basics and not being able to do all the high-tech, pyrotechnic, you know, glitzy, glammy, whatever. I mean, Jason Fassel, who is, to my mind, just one of the great lighting designers we we have anywhere, um, you know, is capable of doing that kind of show. But here he was lighting it in a way that was somber and subtle and dark. Um, And it's about, in a really dark time, finding the courage and the imagination to... appreciate the things in life that really matter and think about what it means to start anew. And man, that's where we're going with theater, that's what you've seen in so much theater this year as we discover some of the things and as theater artists discover some of the things that made them fall in love with this medium in the first place and go back to exercising muscles that in more robust, we'll say, productions. They don't get to use in the same way or as often and that I think for a lot of people with all the bad stuff this year has been really uh really empowering I can't recommend this production highly enough it plays through the 24th
0: fantastic I look forward forward to seeing that you know when we kind of got this assignment here's what we're going to talk about um you know the good things of 2020 Jen, I didn't even go as far as January. Like like my list started at quarantine, you know, March 13th. Um, So that's an interesting thing. But uh, I was thinking about the shows that really resonated with me this year. And it started not just with, so the National Theater had, I saw Frankenstein and I saw Amadeus. And that was something that they pulled out of the archives and presented. And those were unbelievably good but what sticks in my head the most were the Apple plays by Richard Nelson. I watched all three of them. They were written specifically, the Apple family had existed in the world prior to this year at the public theater, but these were specific Zoom productions. And I felt certainly by the, by the third installment, I knew these family. I I was there with them on the Zoom call with the family. Layla Robbins is one of my very favorite actors of all. And, um, I appreciated that they were one of the first that really leaned into this Zoom world, leaned into this video world. And we've we've subsequently had so many good performances that have done that same thing. But that for me was the beginning of this, and the beginning of opening up the possibilities of this medium and how we can use it.
2: I love that you went there, Julie, and I, especially in, in referencing those offerings from the National Theater, because they were really out in front of this so quickly mm. to just open up the vault and say, here are our past productions, and we're gonna make them available for free. The entire world is going through something traumatic right now, and let's use our art you know, in a way to bring people together and be healing and all of that. And and that was such a, a generous offering. And that kind of leads me to uh, maybe a sort of bigger umbrella thing that I have been so moved by this year, which is generosity across the board within our yes. industry, you know, from companies making things available for free and, and and quick and easy to companies doing everything they can to take care of their artists and their staff. Um, during this time of economic hardship, um, I think about the generosity here at Forward. But I've heard the same story told over and over from from all of my peers of subscribers and ticket holders who said, "Wow, your show got canceled. Keep the ticket money as a donation." Um, you know, generosity from every corner of the audience, the artists, the producers, the writers saying, yeah, we normally don't allow you to film and offer digitally versions of our work, but we're going to figure out a way to do it this year. Um, It it comes back to that term, generosity, generosity. And and what that leads me to be thinking about is probably my personal um, favorite development of this season, which is... um, and increased communication between the folks who work in this field outside of their own organization. I've had the privilege of putting together and sharing um, regular conversations since COVID struck of three different groups of arts makers. I chair the Resident Company Advisory Council at Overture Center for the Arts. Here in Madison, it's all the groups that make Overture their homes. So it's the ballet and the symphony and the opera, et cetera. And we all meet regularly to talk about what we're learning. Um, I chair a, a conversation of Madison area theaters, ranging from theater for young people, community theaters, university theaters, professional theaters, all to talk about what we're learning. And then also a conversation with Wisconsin's professional theater leaders and staffs, and we've all supported each other all along. You know, you can call a colleague up and say, Hey, I'm wrestling with something, something, and, and they will give you their advice. But the way everybody has stepped up and shared what they're learning as they're learning it to save everybody else, to save them a headache, to save them a dollar, to, to, to save them some time. It's, it, it makes me really, really emotional. And I really think that's not going away when theater returns to something more like what it used to be. And I think everything we do is going to be better as a result of it. As we move through tackling the pandemic of COVID and continue our work tackling as you, as you call it, Mike, the, the other pandemic of, of racism in our community, as we ta- tackle other issues of pay and inequality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Having better communication, more open and generous communication between the leaders in our field is gonna be so important and valuable. So that's a beautiful thing, I think, of 2020.
0: Jen, can I add on? Cause that was also on my list. And I just uh, want to say to the honesty in these conversations is what amazes me so much. Um, oftentimes we spend with peers, well, we're doing this great thing and we're doing this great thing. And that, um, certainly people are still doing great things and still talking about it, but there's the honesty of, we tried this and it was terrible. And let me tell you why it was terrible. And please don't do that. You know, and, and um, just offering so that we can all move forward. Um, and it's, it's been remarkable. And I'm with you. I pray that that continues, that these conversations continue, because they're going to be important as we move ahead. Um, we're not going to just end the pandemic. And now we don't need to talk to all these people anymore.
1: So <laughs>
2: It's
0: really been beautiful.
1: Yeah, version of that for for me. And it also ties back in, Julie, to what you said about the national. And I agree that was a lifeline um, during the you know, they gave us 16 shows for free, which is unbelievable uh, in terms of the value is what happened at Stratford. um, The Stratford Festival this summer did the same thing. I mean, I put 12 of their uh, productions for free online, continue to have watch parties every Thursday night where they're rolling out uh, material from. Um, from their vault and have also opened up su- a subscription service for 10 Canadian dollars a month, which is like what, you know, I don't even want to make jokes, but like seven or eight bucks um, in terms of their material. But but related to what you just said, they were among the first companies and many did it afterward to t- literally turn over their entire network uh, first to BIPOC artists and then separately, um, because this is such a huge issue in Canada to indigenous artists who hosted two hours each of time during which they talked about and talked through a lot of issues, including very honestly, the issues they had with Stratford festival and how it could do better. Uh, And then just last week, I watched Stratford's two leaders, Anthony Cimolino, their artistic director, and Anita Gaffney, their managing director, again, in a very honest and vulnerable conversation, talk about where they were budget-wise, talk about the help that they needed. It was just a different sort of conversation. Um, You know, Anthony talking with real compassion about how hard it is for him to hear a young artist that he really Uh, identifies with saying that that person is thinking of leaving the field because of the struggles that artists are having this year and going back to school and getting a psychology degree. I mean, those are the kinds of conversations and the kind of basic humanity, which is at the core of what we do anyway and what makes the theater world so special. We all know this sort of intellectually, but to be reminded of it day after day emotionally and to see people vulnerable and open in these kinds of ways is just as with you both, it has just moved me tremendously this year.
0: I'm going to take us in a completely different direction. Oh, Just a teeny bit uh, lower brow, Mike. And that is uh, um, so uh, a woman named Sarah Upoff, who you might recognize has a name similar to our artistic director, started this campaign to raise money for Wisconsin Democrats. And there were many, many shows that were done as um, a fundraiser, but the very first one was The Princess Bride. (laughs) And uh, it was, it
1: was,
0: (laughs) it was chock full of technological glitches. Chock full. But there was something, it was one of the One of the shows that I really felt, and it might have just been because the staff was on it and we were texting back and forth, but it really felt like a community um, viewing. And it was so nice just to see people that we kind of grew up with. And, And that show is so heartwarming and funny and wonderful. And um, boy, those stage actors, talking to you, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. It. They, <laughs> he was 100% in, and it was gorgeous. And um, the whole night, it just made me happy. That show just made me happy. And the fact that it was going, you know, my money was there for a good reason, all the better.
2: Julie, it's so funny you brought it up, because while I wasn't necessarily going to shout out my sister, but I will now, because... I'm so proud of her for putting all of these together and making such a difference. But um, but that Princess Bride reunion really was a highlight for me, too. And it was partly because it was so theatrical and we were seeing, you know, sort of celebrities and stars wrestling with the exact same technological um, issues that we were trying to solve in creating, you know, Zoom theater. You can't see my air quotes because it's a podcast. But um, but it it really... I was going to mention that, too, because it ties into another highlight for me of the year, which is that you were able to reassemble original casts, not just of movies like in these fundraisers that were mostly done for political uh, campaigns or efforts, but also as fundraisers for other nonprofits and to support the theater industry and to support artists and all of these original casts that were getting together and putting together great pieces of art. Oh my God, I mean, speaking of technical difficulties, but the Sondheim 90th birthday celebration. I mean, the joy that so many people could be brought together for these things because they weren't being flown in from all over the world. They didn't have to like leave a movie set or a Broadway show that was running to participate. Everyone's sitting in their house and can carve out, you know, the amount of time to prepare something and to be a part of it. And so it just feels like there's been this series of ongoing gifts that we can partake of and see these incredible artists together telling, you know, beloved stories. The, there was a beautiful angels in America tribute event um, with scenes being remounted that brought me to tears. I mean, so much good stuff, but yeah, I don't know if anything, will beat for me the moment of Manny Potankin showing that he kept the prop sword from The Princess Bride. And when he hauled that out, and we were all texting each other. It's like, he's a theater actor. He kept his prop. <laughs> <You know>?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> One of my moments of vulnerability like, like that and generosity in, involving completely wonky early early phase Zoom technology. I can't believe it's only six months later. And we're already talking about early, middle and late phases with Zoom. We've learned so much this year. Um, but uh, early in the uh, in the pandemic, Milwaukee Chamber Theater uh, got a grant to put together a reading. Uh, of Romeo and Juliet. I was the dramaturg for that. And what they did, which was really novel, is instead of casting it with, you know, people the age of, um, you know, of of Claire Danes when she was in the R&J, they they did it with uh, older actors on purpose to sort of bring out a different aspect of the love that was there. And so this is like the complete theater fan, theater geek in me that had covered for years these people in theater royalty. I mean, Jim Pickering and Laura Gordon and John Daly and Angela Nooney and Michael Wright and Ray Javoff. A number of these folks have acted at Forward uh, in some in some fashion. And a number of them just, you know, they they humble me in terms of what they understand about Shakespeare, which is an artist I've probably spent more time thinking about than any other. Uh, And they can run circles around me blindfolded, uh, as well as being amazing actors. And to see them in this setting, a lot of them uncomfortable at this point early on with the technology, um, with a script that, you know, we had, uh, what, like 10 hours of rehearsal, uh, 12 hours of rehearsal, I think, before going live with this reading. It was, it was just great um, and a reminder of all, again, in all the ways we're talking about it, the things that, that bring, us, uh, bring us together. I felt part of a community that day, probably outside of Forward, which has sustained me throughout this entire pandemic. That was the first time I really felt part of a community uh, in the theatrical world since March.
2: That's beautiful. Mm. Julie, is there anything else on your list?
0: Well, my, um, it's not a play. It is, it's, it's kind of a continuation of what you said, Jen, is this idea now, and I kind of hope it doesn't end, that we can work with people all over the country and, and people, and it doesn't have to be a community. If we're going to continue a virtual reading or a virtual production, even post pandemic, we're back on stage, but maybe maybe we pull together a reading and it's, and it's online. Um, the fact that we can work with people all over the country, um, people we don't know, people who have moved away, um, I, think, I think that really benefited us and I think that was really wonderful.
1: So
2: totally
1: lovely. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agreed. This isn't um in all over the country in the same way. This is, I mean, I'm I'm shifting us sideways again and, and drawing on my former life as a critic. But I've been doing a lot of thinking really since stopping to write criticism two years ago, but particularly during this pandemic, about how as a writer one can contribute to and build up the arts without being a complete cheerleader on the one hand and without being John Simon on the
0: other.
1: Um, I've always thought there was a middle ground, but my sense of what that middle ground is has shifted. And the term I'm using now is arts advocate, which I, I, I think is somebody who wants to champion and appreciate and love all that's good in something. And there are absolutely legitimate ways to do that without pulling punches that showcase what is great and what's going on. And there's a couple of critics, um, around the, I think every critic that I and I read a lot of them have had to think about this issue hard this year. But the two to me that have really stood out in trying to both continue to cover and celebrate and write about theater, but also do it in a way that recognizes the shift, are Chris Jones again in Chicago. Um, who I just think is a tremendous asset for American theater in so many ways. He's always the guy that would get on the phone and call somebody in New York and say, hey, there's this playwright in in Chicago named Ike Holter who you should be producing. I mean, that was always part of his personality, but he's taken it up another notch during this whole thing. I just love the guy to death. And then also Helen Shaw, um, who Mm. writes for New York Magazine in New York, who is just terrific, so smart. Um, and willing again, as Chris has done in a different way, to rethink what this medium is all about. And for her, it's, it's partly involved broadening out the sense of what constitutes theater, as she herself will ruefully admit. She's spending time with things like gaming now, which really you're, you're having to do if you're watching some of this stuff that's being streamed. Again, somebody who appreciates the good in a really smart way that helps and challenges artists to grow, without in a moment where artists really don't need to be kicked, um, you know, being ne- negative in in what she writes and how she writes about it. I think that's hard to do and they both do it well.
2: That's so important, Mike. I I, I love that. I, gr- I agree. Arts advocates, it's a wonderful term and it's exactly what the field needs and it, exactly the way you describe it, you know, supporting and advocating for the field without having to, um, to pull your punches, to use your phrase. I think that that's, uh, that's what we need so much more of. Um, I mean, you know, I, when I th- thought back on this year, in addition to that that wonderful memory from um, Every Brilliant Thing, I think really m- the most precious uh, thing that I, I think of when I look back on 2020, also predates um, everything shutting down, but but just barely. And that is my memories of what it felt like to be rehearsing the amateurs in the week before everything shut down. And to be working in our little rehearsal room with this amazing cast of artists as we felt this pandemic bearing down on us. And we were doing a play, this is Jordan Harrison's play about the plague. And the heightened sense of responsibility to each other, to keep each other safe, our heightened sense of responsibility of trying to make it to the finish line to share this piece of art with our audience, and the sense of responsibility to the art itself, to be able to uh, do right by what art means for the world. It was an extraordinary feeling and I just every single day in rehearsals at the beginning of the day and at the middle of the day after lunch break and at the end of the day we would do a quick little let's all sit and talk for a minute and I would tell them everything transparently that we knew about what was going on and say this is what we know today, this is what we're thinking, you know, we're going to keep you safe, don't worry you're getting paid no matter what happens but we're going to try to make this work. Ultimately we didn't, ultimately we did not make it across the finish line with that production but the feeling of all of us working together in that those last days will also stay with me for the rest of my career.
1: My God's getting good thoughts.
2: And those people beautiful.
0: will be dear to us forever for that reason.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was there was so much to be thankful for in mm-hmm. 2020. There really was. Um, and it feels really good to to talk about those things because we've spent a a lot of time and energy, deservedly focusing on all of the things that are not going right, sure. and that need need our work and our community support to uh, to put right. So,
1: yeah, I'm sure going to hope that someday, um, true to that play, that someday you figure out you and Julie masterminds both some way to bring that play and that cast back. Because boy, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be awesome? Not to put you on the spot, <laughs> love to see that show again, I really would. I re- actually see it come to fruition as somebody who is also working on it. That would be awesome. Yeah, near and dear to our hearts for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, on on a positive note of thinking about all the good things that this year managed to bring us, I think we'll say that that is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, in the Midwest and across America. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff-Gray.
1: I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, to whom I am truly, and I really mean this, and sincerely grateful every single day for all he does, not just for this podcast, but for Forward. He's just awesome. Um, anyway, you can listen to us and follow us um, by sharing your thoughts on Facebook um, or Twitter. That's at Theater Forward, as always, folks, within NDR.
0: And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And please, please leave us a review. Send us some questions. We'd love to hear from you.
2: We are so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.